Welcome to Talking Jazz. My guest today is saxophonist, composer, arranger, educator, Peter Lehel from Karlsruhe in Germany, a very dear old friend, not old, old, but old in terms of knowing him for a long time. I'm really excited to talk to him about his music because there is some really wonderful crossover music that is exciting and fresh and, and should be known far across the continents. Welcome, Peter. Well, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. It's good to have you. And even though we're going to start out playing actually something that's brand new from your latest release, I'm going to ask you about your early attraction to the saxophone and to jazz. You know, sometimes people ask me, how did you get into jazz growing up in Germany? And I'm trying to explain them. It's not that far removed. So tell us a little bit about your early, early trajectory here into jazz. Well, I just stumbled into music and later I stumbled into jazz more or less accidentally. When I was eight, my grandma decided, oh, the boy, he should play some music. And she knew about the clarinet teacher in my small village. And this was the beginning of my music career. I started to play clarinet. I liked it and I practiced every day. It was a normal thing. But this was, of course, not yet any jazz, of course. And then I, I turned to be 11 and then they just gave me a saxophone. It was an alto saxophone. I played it, I enjoyed it and I started listening to other saxophone players. So I, I came into little rock music, maybe Supertramp and Pink Floyd uh, saxophone solo uh, parts and Billy Vaughan and Glenn Miller. So still far away from progressive saxophone jazz. Well, and then I still practice. I kept on being kind of talented. Everybody was, oh, he's, he's a good player. But I had never any idea about jazz or being or becoming a professional musician. But then I turned uh, to be 15 and uh, we traveled to New Jersey and New York, Manhattan to visit some relatives. And then I went into a record shop. This was a, still a time when we had the uh, long playing records. And this was in Princeton. And this is really a, a story to, to be told because I went in there and there was a really tall guy. And I was really, wow, oh, okay. Uh, I tried to, I, I dared to speak to him. Oh, I, I would like to buy some jazz saxophone records. Can you recan recommend some players? Well, son, what about John Coltrane? Yes, would be nice. Well, I put this, this record uh, on a record player just the same day at the place of my relatives. The first thing I heard was, I want to talk about you from John Coltrane. Not the, the late recordings, but the eight, uh, late 50 still prestige records. And I was shocked. It was, I was totally shocked and touched by this sound. And I really, I went to a shop, music store the next day in Manhattan, and I bought my first tenor saxophone because of John Coltrane. This was the beginning of my jazz career because I, I started to practice the tenor saxophone five, six, seven hours per day, seven days a week. I had no teacher. I had no idea about anything. I just tried to, to play along with the record. I didn't get any notes. I didn't understand anything, but I was touched. And this was the beginning of my jazz career. That's a really, really, really cool story, you know. And, and of course, you know, what better influence than 
John Coltrane and what what deeper influence? Well, of course, we're going to actually listen to a tune that you call Train's Hussar Mood, which is from your latest album where you pay tribute to, to that influence, but also combine it with your Hungarian background, I guess, and some of yeah. the European influences. So so give us a few insights here before we listen to that on that album and on that track. You know, as uh, Europeans, we always have the problem, jazz is something from America, it's from the black community. It's not really our own thing. We can always, or we always tried since the, the early 50s um, or even before, before the Second World War, to play this music, to copy it, to try to get this feeling. And of course, the origin is always much better and more creative than just to copy it. Even if you're a fantastic player, you cannot be the, the, the same artist like 20 years before the guys who, who invented this music. For Europeans, it's the best thing, I guess, and it's very important to have your own history, your own way of learning music and uh, trying to perform your music and your own feeling, your own soul with music. And for me, this is the Hungarian folk music. You know about uh, Bela Bartók and Soldan Kodai. I started with this music when I listened to uh, also to Hungarian gypsy bands. My father liked this music very much. Um, and there's a lot of improvisation in this. It's not so far away from jazz thinking. With this piece, Trains, Husamud, um, well, it's, it's really a combination of free-flowing, Coltrane, melodic, modal, telling a story, combined with a, well, kind of funk groove and with a short Hungarian phrase or melodic part. And I like to, to combine things. Maybe this is my, the best thing I can do. To, I know a lot about classic music and folk music and jazz. And of course, I like rock music. And so I like to put those things together this is my special way of thinking jazz and it's it's honest right rather than trying to imitate something saying okay this is who i am and this is who my influences are it's groovy and funky once we get there for sure this is a really wonderful group and a very recent release so it's called Trains Hussar Mood from Sea of Love. And this is the new Peter Leal Quartet with, of course, you on saxophone and composition and Uli Merck on piano, Dirk Blümlein on bass and Christian Huber on drums. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Trains with Sour Moon from Sea of Love, a 2021 release by my guest today, Peter Lale, who you heard on saxophone, but also composition. We talked about earlier about your influences of John Coltrane, also combining it with Hungarian influences and just being true and honest to who you are. The next piece we're going to listen to is actually crossing over into even another genre, although we touched on it, meaning this goes into classical music, tango music, and working with a clarinetist that you had a long time collaboration with, with Wolfgang Meyer, who is an incredible classical clarinet player. Tell us a little bit about that collaboration and how you have to approach writing for somebody that comes from a different background. Well, first I was attracted by Wolfgang Meyer's uh, clarinet tone by his intonation, by his, his way of creating those beautiful sounds. And you know, the clarinet, I started on clarinet, as I mentioned before, but I was never really a good classical player. But the clarinet and the saxophone is kind of from the same family. I re always liked the idea of putting those two instruments together. And even to put classical clarinet way of playing with a jazz saxophone way of playing. And I think we meet somewhere in the middle because I, my opinion is as a jazz player, it's also possible to have a good, perfect intonation to play with a lot of different dynamics. Sometimes I'm bored by listening to, to real jazz, by only real jazz groups because we have always the, the drama playing loud. We have difficulties to, to recognize the notes uh, of the bass player and the piano disappears somewhere and the saxophone player is always playing double forte and the whole time. This is great, this is a lot of energy, but sometimes I prefer to have small things and tiny cooperation and soft sounds we bring together and all these fine things. To work with a, with a musician like Wolfgang Meyer, I could do this. He was no improviser. I can understand because they, they play on such a perfect level, they are not ready to make any little mistake. They are not allowed to make a mistake. You cannot change the Mozart uh, clarinet concerto. Everybody knows each note and you have no freedom to do whatever you like. As a jazz player, you have much more freedom. I don't have to tell you this. He was attracted by my way of thinking freely and play whatever I like, the way I like. And I was attracted by his perfect playing. He asked me, to write music for him. We have different uh, material. We, have, uh, we started with um, boleros and Latin jazz music because it was not swinging music because classical players, well, they are afraid of swinging because they think they, they can't do it. This was the first thing we did. And then I did this uh, recording, a double CD, chamber uh, jazz. And one of the pieces is uh, Piazzolla, Libertango. My approach is I have my ideas about playing my, my solo, my improvisation parts, and I have my own ideas about putting together the music, about writing a, an arrangement for the group, finding the right place for this special clarinet player. Each single note for Wolfgang Meyer is written. I even did the, the accents and the signs and the bows and the dynamics. Uh, because he's, he was used to it. They like to read the music and, to, and they like to know what to do. This is very interesting for a jazz musician because you tell your drummer, oh, please, can you play soft here? Can you play piano? Maybe he's, oh, he doesn't like my, my telling. He, he wants to play whatever he wants. And the classical player, they need clear announcements. So I did a, a special arrangement because, I, of course, everybody knows Libertango and I wanted to have my 
own little shape in there with the arrangement. Of course, there's a solo part written for the clarinet. And this inspires the saxophone player to do whatever. We just played it this way. It's really cool and for people to actually realize how much work it is to write out a solo that sounds improvised. That's Of course, uh, when we put out those records, I did not tell the, the critics, oh, he, he cannot improvise. He is just reading. I didn't tell this. But no one, no critic at all ever said, oh, maybe he's not really improvising. They, they were, oh, oh, we can do this also. So this is a, is, a, is a compliment for me as a writer. It absolutely is. Well, you know, even though improvising often is composing on the spot, but then trying to do it in real time, it's you might put too much of your brain into it and it doesn't sound like on the spot anymore. Job well done. Yeah, and then this is, this is really fun. This is great and virtuose music and sounds wonderful crossing over. It's Libertango from Chamber Jazz, a 2015 release by my guest today, Peter Lael, who you will hear on saxophone and who is also the arranger behind the piece and of course on clarinet, Wolfgang Meyer. Here we go. Thank you. 
That was Libertango, as arranged by my guest today, Peter Lale, who you also heard on saxophone. And this was arranged for clarinetist Wolfgang Meyer, a 2015 release called Chamber Jazz. We took detours into Coltrane, Hungarian music, tango, classical music, and now we're going to explore even a different instrument that, that you're introducing to us. And I have to admit, I, I never heard of it and listening to it, it sounds really close to a soprano saxophone. So you'll, you'll have to explain to us a little bit what it is and what some of the differences are. It's called Tarugato. So tell us all about that. Well, this is a Hungarian ancient instrument instrument well it's it's really somewhere in between the soprano saxophone and the clarinet it's made out of wood so it, it looks like a clarinet but with the shape of a saxophone the special thing about it it's 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 used in eastern europe european folk music and mostly it's played solo so you can imagine you have those landscapes nobody there only only sheep or so kind of animals and so you play outside and the, the tone is can be very special maybe sometimes like a oboe it's really can be loud you can hear this miles away so it was used as an instrument for the shepherds and the way i used it i used to have a really old instrument more than 100 years old original called stovasa tarogato but i could not really play it within a group because the intonation is just too hard. The good thing about the pandemic years, you have time to explore new things. And I found out about an instrument maker in Hungary who is building new tarogots, tarogotas with the modern fingering. And the intonation is perfect. You can really play it like a clarinet or a soprano saxophone. Well, this is for me, this is a perfect instrument to combine the mood of Coltrane, which is for me, Coltrane is is a is very deep sound. I'm I'm touched because of his deepness, even below the tone. There's something more. You can do this with a saxophone also. The Eastern European melancholy. They can make big parties and they can have very deep depression. So they have a, a, a big range of emotions. I'm always interested not in the party part. I'm I'm touched in, in the the depression part. I took this instrument and I immediately could play it concerning the tone production. It's it's my voice somehow. Mm. So that's the reason why I I always like to, to play one piece maybe um, when I play a concert. And it's it's very interesting because the, the audience is always touched and surprised and always ask, oh, I never heard this. And it seems to, to come from ancient times, 200 years ago. This is a special thing about this instrument. Let's imagine the sheep out there and the lonely shepherd expressing all his emotions on the Transylvanian plains. And that's a really good image to have. So is, is this, where is this released or available? Uh, this is only on, on Spotify. And and Apple Music, okay. and also in the streaming services. So no CD, no record, unfortunately. So this is Transylvanian Transit, and we're here, our guest today, Peter Lale, on very interesting instrument mix of soprano sex and clarinet called the Tarugato.
That was Transylvanian Transit, performed by my guest today, Peter Lale. We're exploring a lot of his facets of, of his career. You also suggested your version of the standard, you don't know what love is. It's interesting because in jazz, the traditionist, the repertoire is the great American songbook. And it's usually a measure of jazz players on in interpretation of that repertoire but you make it a very big point saying well but I didn't grow up in America I grew up in Europe and and I have a different approach what's the difference here and how how would you say a European approach is different and is there something like a European approach it's no real big difference well-educated European jazz musicians are working on the great American songbook repertoire because we know the rules and there are a lot of players here who can really play this music because they play just the standards. As you uh, realize, I, I play a lot of different music, classical music, also my way of, of my story with the Eastern Euro European folk tradition. But of course, I like American way of playing the saxophone. And I, I studied all of them. Coltrane in the beginning, Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, Michael Brecker, Chris Potter, Charlie Parker, Phil Woods, Campbell Adderley, and even when I went back to Ben Webster and Coleman Hawkins. So I know about the tradition. What I realized as a big difference between European musicians and American musicians, musicians might be the way of thinking rhythm and swing feel and, and groove. This might be uh, different. I'm not sure if, if you listen to my version of You Don't Know What Love Is, if you can really tell, oh, this, this must be a South European or this is some, somebody from Canada or from New Orleans. I don't know, because we know this story. I just I always uh, like to mention, I really like bebop. I wish to play bebop like Charlie Parker, but I, in my early years, I realized, oh, that's really difficult. <laughs> you have to... To do this your whole life to, to have this perfection but then you're just copying it it's not really my voice and that's the reason why i i started to to, to write my own music to play my own tunes but of course i like the, the standards and uh, i really enjoy playing great songs like you don't know what love is that's a good point you know and probably the biggest goal of any jazz players to find their own voice and you have to be true to to what your own voice is you know just trying to emulate another great won't make a difference in the landscape and and won't move the music forward so finding that special niche where you can combine your influences and and somebody who hears it says oh that must be Peter or Charlie Parker or something. That is the ultimate goal and, you know, what we all strive for. But this version of You Don't Know What Love Is is absolutely gorgeous. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. Can you remind us where, when that was released and about yeah. the group that's playing? This was my, my former quartet. Uh, that's why we have the new Peter Lehre Quartet and we have Peter Lehre Quartet. This was my regular working band, which I would play together, I guess, almost 25 years. I think this was just a recording from a live concert in Stuttgart at a jazz club, Big's just in the beginning, when it was uh, opened. It must be something around 2010. And I released it on a, an album called Hidden Tracks. Yes, that's where I put different recordings from different times with different piano players together. 
and this was released uh, maybe 2018. Well, let's have a listen. So here is You Don't Know What Love Is from the album Hidden Tracks featuring my guest today, Peter Lale.
That was You Don't Know What Love Is, as interpreted by my guest today, Peter Leo. We went to so many directions, all the facets of your career. You know, we also should point out that you're touring quite a bit internationally, especially in, in Korea and in some of the Asian countries. We've been <laughs> working together since a long time, too. You came to visit us in the 90s and we played some music. And over the years, we've done so many collaborations and it's been so much fun to see each other's careers and, and grow together. The last one we're going to take it out with is a, is a recent recording we did together with our group The Time Flies which was done in Germany and came out of an idea of putting analog versions of music together, taking some recordings that we had done with Bob Berg and releasing them on LP. You know, we went in the studio and just didn't really tell you that much and said, well, come on over and let's make some music. And it became one of those moments that were just magical and worked. It's actually a piece that's very open and free 
you know, it's interesting to go from completely through compose to complete interaction of let's see what happens. I think I'd like to, to like hear from you on how you adapt to these situations and playing in an environment where you just have to go, okay, let's just interact and take the moment. I was telling you that in the beginning, the Europeans had to copy the American way of playing jazz. In the 60s, when the free jazz happened in US, this was also initial shock for European musicians because this was a moment when they started to do their own thing. We had from this time, from the 60s in, in Germany, we had tendency to, to play free as well, but with a European background. So the, the, playing, the way of playing free means just to, to be open for the moment, not to play written compositions, not, not to play groove or, or not to play uh, any form, just to be in the moment. And I think we have a strong tradition in, in, in Europe. That's the reason why it, it's so easy for me just to play complete free music, because I know a lot, lot about music and I have this background. It may be playing free is even more directly for me than playing Bebop. It's not at all difficult to play freeway if you have musicians of the same quality and mm -hmm. of the same spirit and you just can rely on them. And, and it's, it's big fun just to, well, it just happened. We did not even really talk about it. So this was really a, a special moment. And I, I'm, I'm proud of this recording mm -hmm. because this is, this is really jazz and it's, it's, it's not my, only my jazz. It's the jazz of this group in this moment. And well, this is this is a wonderful happening. This is, you know, the moments we, we kind of strive for. Of course, you know, that magic doesn't happen every second. And there's many, many, many times where you look for the magic and it's not there. But as you said, you know, it's really interesting and important to understand that when you play free jazz, it doesn't mean people just get together and, and do whatever they want to. It, it takes a certain caliber, it takes a certain repertoire, it takes a sensitivity and, and listening to each other to sense of it and, and to make that moment count. You're absolutely right that this direction and a lot of the directions moving forward in jazz are actually happening in Europe. And that's sometimes overlooked, you know, because it's, of course, it's an American art form, but it has become a global music. And there is really, really interesting directions and styles and new ways of interpreting all over the world. I'm excited I get to share it and get to feature people like you Thank who you. push the music forward. And, and yeah, that's exciting to work with. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and, and sharing about your music. Good to have you and it's good to talk. I'm excited to share this last track, which is actually from an LP that's available from the company called Flavor Tune. It's called Junk Jazz and it's a composition by my husband, Peter Keenley. Look for acmerecords.com and we'll find it. Enjoy this really, really special magic moment. Junk Jazz from The Time Flies.
for listening to Talking Jazz. My guest today was saxophonist, composer, arranger, educator, Peter Lale. You can hear Talking Jazz every Thursday at 11 a.m. and Mondays at 7 p.m. on WETF 105.7 in South Bend, Indiana, or online at jazzradiowetf.org, and Fridays at 8 p.m. on WICR 88.7, Indianapolis. Previous shows are also on my YouTube channel, Monica Hersig, M-O-N-I-K-A-H-E-R-Z-I-G. Please subscribe to the Talking Jazz playlist. Thank you for listening.